Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. Hey. It's me and Lindsay, and we're having severe technological difficulties today, so bear with us. Grab the oh shit handle because we're going for a ride. Yeah. Yeah. And mental difficulties because, you know, you had to call me when we were supposed to be recording and I was cleaning my playroom. So yeah. Whoops. So here we are, which is a great example of what we're going to be talking about today. For those of you who um, are just tuning in, one, welcome. We love you. We're best friends already. Two, this entire season is on Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions in Life with ADHD, written by Tamara Rosier, PDHD, or PDHD. (laughs) It's just PhD, but if we want to put a little PDA, PDADHD, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're just going with it. Um, okay, so if you don't know yet, Lindsay and I regularly are on TikTok. We have Mindful as a Mother is our username on TikTok. I don't know the fancy way to say that, but that's our name. We're on there providing free content. That's where we answer most of our questions. We also have a lot of offers. Lindsay, do you want to tell them about the offers we have? Yes, we have free offers like a tantrum tamer quiz. And then we have some like lower priced offers. We have a heart attack uh, template to what would you call that? Like affirmations or positive reinforcement for your kids. And then we have a nervous system cheat cheat for kids that sucks. And Meltdown Mini Guide is 33 bucks. And our Your Nervous System and Parenting Masterclass is $97. And $150. Just so you know the price is up front. Because you know what I hate more than anything in the entire freaking world? What? When you're going to buy something and they don't tell you the, the I want to use the F word so bad, but I'm trying not to, the effing prices. Yep. And you have to like click through and then you get to it and you're like, oh, that was like way more expensive than expected. Or um, you get so frustrated by the time you get there, you don't even want to buy the thing. So I I just like to be upfront. Like those are the prices. We try to offer a wide range of things, keeping everything pretty affordable, comparable to other places, just because uh, our goal is to spread the message to more people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One of my favorites so far um, that we have actually done is we included kind of like a text link. So if you have questions, when we answer them on TikTok or on Instagram, when we get on there, they have to be kind of uh, vague because each person, each family relationship, each child is so individual. It's impossible for us to tailor our answer directly to what you're experiencing So without all the backstory, we're like, generally, this is what we suggest you try, try it out, come back, let us know how it goes, right? Well, if you want something that's a little more tailored and you want to provide more information so we can give you a specific response and specific tools, like narrow it down, we actually have a link in our TikTok stand store and it's on our Instagram. If you don't know yet, Mindful is a Mother Pod on Instagram. Please follow, like, share, love, review. Anyways, 
So you can text us. You can pay, I think it, it ranges between $10 up 20. to 20. Oh, so $20 up to $100. And with each differing price point, you get a certain number of text messages to describe your problem and a little bit of back and forth. So you can get a more tailored answer. So if that's what you're looking for, that is also a more affordable option than just paying for our straight up one-on-one problem solving or straight into a course, because for 20 bucks, you can get, I think it's 10 messages. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, I text texts back and forth where we can um talk well, we can text happening. as many times as we want. Oh, so they, you as the person reaching out to us, get a certain number of texts and then we can text you as many times as we want, which is helpful because we are long-winded. Yes. And um I forgot about this offer, but it is one of my favorites and one of the most like accessible because sometimes I know I just want to like ask a, a professional a question but I don't maybe want to book like a full on one on one so it can be mm-hmm. really helpful in that way so check those out we're new and starting those and exciting yes the other offer that we have right now that I'm going to talk about tune into to the podcast hopefully you've been tuning in and we talked through the one that launched today because we record in advance talks about how we talk to ourselves and our children when we experience symptoms of ADHD and so throughout February we have the heart attack offer up which is only 99 cents but tune into the episode so we can talk about how speaking positivity positivity into your life and the life of your children impacts how they manage this um, diagnosis and and functioning through life and what it is it's cute little hearts that we have designed that you can print and cut out and then you write like a love note or a positive affirmation on the heart and then you put it somewhere for them to find I like to put it in their lunches or we put it on top of their doors stuff like that yes I used it yesterday in a session and um in with my own kids and it went a hundred percent well all around they loved it especially because yesterday was valentine's day so we're recording this the day after valentine's day and so it was cute it was on theme it was perfect Paige did a great job at making that and it's only 99 cents again because of accessibility finally our first interview dropped Um, that we have. And I am so, so excited about these. We interviewed Dr. Carrie Jackson. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back season three, episode three or episode four, five, one of them, four, four, four. It's one of them. It's four. But the reason I'm so excited about it is because Lindsay and I have spent a lot of time and effort researching these people that we're inviting to come on the podcast, because something that we value is accessibility of resources for you to show up for yourself and your kids the way that you want to. So because of that, we work really, really hard to have people who are going to provide value and tips and strategies that you can use right away and affordable offers that might be hard to it access outside of what we're providing you. So yes, if you're needing, go ahead. Oh, sorry. There's a delay. Sorry. My bad. We're on zoom. There's a delay. I was just going to say that I think too, the other thing is, well, one, you do all the researching and like organizing. So that's on you. You've done a great job. I did not do shit, but these are all people that like we follow personally and we learn from. So like you're getting um like an insight into like who we're following and who we're talking to and those things so that we're making sure it's the highest quality content and the kind of um, providers that you want information from. Because in one of our previous episodes, we talked about how, you know, like 55% of ADHD st- statistics on TikTok are wrong. 
Yeah. So we vet it and we vet it hard and we make sure that it's accessible no matter where you're at in life because it, it ranges from free to like not free 99. But depending on the support you're looking for, there are things that you can access that are going to help you show up as the person you want to be for yourself and the parents you want to be for your kid. So stay tuned. I know in the next four weeks, we will have another episode drop about speech language pathology in ADHD. And I'm very excited about that one. And I've actually already used that as a resource for a lot of people that I work with one-on-one. So I think that's all of the news at the mindful as a mother corporate office. That's a lot of news. That's a lot of news. I mean, running a business with two ADHD women is, is like, there's a lot of news. (laughs) So Quick recap, go to the link in our TikTok for our stand store. It has all of our offers. Make sure you're following the podcast to get the support that you're looking for and the tools you need to show up as you want to show up. And then um, subscribe, review, and follow. Okay. All right. Okay. Can I tell you a love story? Absolutely. Okay. So because yesterday was Valentine's Day, I've adapted this love story from chapter three in the book. Two people, high achievers very motivated, very organized, meet, fall in love. They have a really great relationship. They have kids. And then all of a sudden, one of them starts really struggling with regulating their emotions. They get upset over little things that don't seem important to the other partner or like a big deal. They get frustrated really easily. They... What else happens, Paige, in this story? I think it's pushing them to the brink of like, is this something that we can continue to make work? This life we've built. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, this person is not the person I married. They are moody, irrational, um, or completely withdrawn. Right. And actually, when I was reading this, I recognized so much of myself in the character that has ADHD because that's how I felt like I was coping really well until I had kids and then just like the level of like my brain could not handle the level of responsibility that I had absolutely so this week what we're talking about is is emotionality which we've touched on before briefly but this is something that impacts us so profoundly in how the ADHD brain works that a lot of the times we don't even recognize how our responses could be interpreted by a partner or in the workplace or by our children. And so there's a whole chapter dedicated solely to understanding how this works in our brain And then a couple of tips and we'll try to get through it all. If not, then we'll do a second um, episode to make sure that we fully explain some of the skills to walk through. Mm -hmm. But here's what to know when your brain, sorry, that was a dramatic extension of the word, but when you are wired with an ADHD brain, you are emotionally intense, occasionally irrational. You might have mood swings. And I really think that we're blind to our own behavior. Like we're really blind to our own emotional intensity a lot of the time. Tim would definitely agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Woody. (laughs) 
Um, and I think there's, and now that I've created enough awareness around it um, in myself, um, sometimes I get the sense of like, I can see myself doing it, but I can't stop myself. Yes, I agree. And so this story that she's using, this anecdote from the book, she talks about how the wife was really like, this isn't the man I fell in love with. I don't know what to do. I'm going to stick it out for the kids. And then one of her children moves into adolescence. And she's like, I see a lot of my husband reflected in my child. And I not necessarily the same way, but the same level of intensity. And the, the child's teacher was like, I think that, you know, the kiddo would benefit from an evaluation for ADHD. And I love this reframe because this person openly identifies that I had believed that ADHD was quote unquote, a naughty boy disease caused by poor parenting. And that isn't at all. She's like, I had no idea that ADHD meant a difference of the wiring of the brain and could lead to these intense feelings, a low frustration tolerance, which means it takes very little until we start to feel frustrated agitation and quick tempers were all part of the emotionality of someone who has a brain wired for ADHD. So if you recognize yourself in this story or your child or spouse, you're not alone. And we're going to walk you through some tips on how to support, but also how to help yourself. If there's you going through these things, some things to like, look for are being quickly frustrated by minor annoyances, um, fretting for a long time. I love the word fretting about small things, feeling a sense of urgency to get something they want in the moment. This is a big one because I don't think that parents recognize this, especially ADHD parents. When we want our children to do something at our speed, and maybe I'm just talking to myself, I don't know. Um, and then they don't, I get really, really frustrated by that. And that's more about me and my emotional emotionality than about them. Um, people often feel diff have a hard time calming down after becoming angry and annoyed, or they feel deep wounded or take offense at even the most gentle criticism. And pretty much that's like Lindsay, like next to this description, it has my picture probably. Yeah. So what my hope is, and us discussing this chapter, because honestly and truly until we see it maybe reflected back to us in our children or to from our friends, it can be hard to bring it into our awareness because this is how we live. Like we don't know that it's abnormal from how Susie Joe operates, right? And so my hope is that we create a reframe that this isn't a naughty kid disease caused by poor parenting or a broken brain, but instead I am wired to have intense emotions and that serves me and learning how that can serve me and our, and my children by creating the awareness around it. Yeah. And if you're feeling like, Oh, this is so lame. Why do I have to have more intense emotions than neurotypical Susie next door? Um, you also get to feel his gratitude and contentment more powerfully. So, and I know I've, I mentioned this all the time when it comes to emotionality, because it is the superpower of the emotionality is that you also get to feel those more positive feelings more deeply. And the, the price you pay for that is that 
you feel the the other emotions more intensely as well. Yes. So there's actually a kiddo that I was working with that was sharing with me that one of their friends told them they thought it was so cool that they had anxiety. And like, I just think it's so cool that you feel things like that. And she was like, I mean, that's really nice of you, but I wouldn't wish this on anybody. So we talked about how, yes, we, we experience these uncomfortable emotions at a really high intensity, right? It's much easier for us to come irritated or annoyed um, and like fly off the handle or even like a really deep sadness. However, because you have the gift of feeling things so intensely, you're also wildly empathetic, incredibly compassionate. Like the joy you feel causes you to sing and to dance. It's like these levels of intensity that you feel make you uniquely who you are and capable of impacting the people in your life the way that you do. And, and without the opposite. So like we did this whole art activity of a reframe of like, without, without this side of feeling these intensely uncomfortable emotions, we also wouldn't feel the intensely comfortable, like elation. And not to get too big picture, but I'm going to get a little bit big picture is how much of this to this, like shame and um, lots of kids with really intense emotions and adults feel a lot of shame about their emotional intensity and their mm-hmm. emotionality. And how much of that is because we're in a society that typically hasn't been, we're getter, but hasn't been fostering of like emotional expression and, ex- you know, expressing emotions freely. So it's not even, so you have a greater intensity of those emotions on top of like the culture that we live in and it mm-hmm. just compounds the shame. So part of that is reframing um, the culture in your family around emotions and that emotions yes. are okay and, and helping yourself and your kid feel like, yes, I experienced them more intensely, but it's okay to express these feelings in a healthy and adaptable way, which is what we'll talk about later. Yes. And I love that. Okay. So I am definitely, I have a quote to share about that later from the book too. So this first one that I want to share says recent research reveals that those with ADHD can become significantly more frustrated, lose their temper more frequently, and are generally more excitable than non-ADHD individuals. So the sensitivity to even the like a minor correction. And so I have an example of how it's presenting in a child. And then I'm going to invite Lindsay to share how we can um, identify it presenting in us as an adult. So my middle kiddo, um, has the, she is my shining star when it comes to passionate emotions and my other two, like they feel things passionately, but they're much more hyperactive, distractible. And something that I think is really unique is that, um, it shows up differently. ADHD, how it presents shows up differently for each person. So me and my husband, both have ADHD, all, all three of our children present symptoms of ADHD. Like it's just a thing. So Yuri this morning, was in the bathroom brushing her hair next to her sister and they got into like a verbal argument where she told her older sister that she wasn't being a very kind sister and so the older sister used a very stern voice and was like stop talking to me I don't want to be your sister anymore which then 
led to a very intense reaction from my middle kiddo. She was sobbing. So she locked herself in the bathroom, which is like our toilet is separate from the sink. So she locked herself in the space with the toilet and was like wailing super loud. These big old tears, just sobbing. And uh, then she moved herself to her bedroom and like laid on her bed with her face in the pillow, sobbing. And she, when she finally was able to work through some of that and, and talk to me, she said that, Alayla told her that she hated her and didn't want to be her sister anymore, which I know, like hearing like what was actually said, the words that were said, um, it wasn't that her sister hated her and didn't love her anymore, wish she did like wish she wasn't born. But that was the interpretation. So when we have these intense emotional experiences, what happens is it floods our brain with that intense emotion so at this point it was like deep sorrow and she's mm-hmm. the cutest when she's happy she's really happy like she'll sing really loud and just like dance and it's it's I one of my favorite things to witness in the whole world when she's sad or hurt it's this like really deep sorrow and um instead of like what's happening is her brain filters because of that deep emotion that she's feeling, the intensity that she's feeling it, she's filtering a message that necessarily wasn't there. So she's creating a story in her brain because of the deep sorrow that my sister hates me. She doesn't love me anymore. She wishes I was never born. Yeah. And I think, so this is the hardest part of parenting kiddos or multiple kiddos who are neurodivergent or have ADHD um, and have ADHD. Um, um, I say neurodivergent because I feel like this very much applies to autism as well. So if you have Mm -hmm. a child with autism, it is like this. And sometimes the emotional intensity scale can be even larger and harder to the prefrontal cortex is even harder to rationalize with. Um, But managing all those feelings all the time and helping little ones learn to manage those feelings is a lot of freaking work, especially if you're neurodivergent yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just want to point that out. This is the hardest part. And so if you're feeling like, gosh, there's so many feelings in this house, you're not alone. Um, (laughs) And you're not wrong. I'm dealing with it. Like it's part of parenting these kiddos and it takes a lot of intentionality. And so we're proud of you for being here and working on that. The example that I came up with for um, adults is personal one. So a lot of times when Tim and I are arguing, if my emotions get really intense, um, I have a hard time, like he'll say things to me and I totally misinterpret it as him saying something different. So, um, I'm going to give you like an example. Um, the other day we were like chilling on the couch, watching our shows. We were watching blue bloods. That's what we're on right now. Um, and it's like that evening time where the kids are just playing, winding down, we're watching a show together. And it's a time where like, if the kids need something, we kind of usually take turns getting up and getting it for them. Well, I was feeling like extra tired and hormonal. And I know when I get up, I asked him to get up like five times in a row and he kind of got frustrated with me. And I perceived that frustration as him thinking that I'm lazy or I'm not a good mom. And that is not what he said at all. My period did not help that situation, but, um, I, took it to a whole new level. And I was like sobbing and yelling about how, like, how dare he attack my parenting? And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was just like asking you to get up and like help the kids here, Lindsay. And I think look back now I can see where my emotionality like took over and I misinterpreted things. And, um, 
it's, it's tricky because we want to honor our emotions in the moment. And in the moment, it does feel so true to yeah. what is going on. Um, have you ever had anything like that happen, Paige? Oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the, one of the easiest like traps with being so emotionally intense that they, we do interpret things. It's like, I'm, I call it a meta message. It's like, we're reading between the lines, the lines, between the lines, between the lines of like, I asked you to get up to help the children. And now you're like, you don't think I'm a good mom. And you think I'm so lazy. I won't get up and I'm just so tired and you don't understand me at all. And you're so inconsiderate. And like, so now we're like guilt and shame on ourselves. And I think this is really valuable because it kind of falls into a trap of our brain, which is when you are, your brain is wired for ADHD and a lot of neurodivergence, because I see similar patterns in other um, kiddos that are neurodivergent. But when you don't have ADHD, your light is like a dimmer switch. We've talked about like a switch with our episode with Dr. Carey's. I'm going to bring it in in a different way. So hold on. But so when you're trying to get yourself to do something or you're feeling emotions, if you imagine the scale between a one and a 10, somebody that doesn't, um, maybe isn't wired with ADHD has a dimmer switch where they're like, I'm usually around like a four or five, like just like it's some gentle ambiance. And occasionally, like if something happens, I'll go up a little bit or down a little bit. When you have neurodivergence, you have on and you have off. It is much harder to access any kind of dimming ability when it comes to your emotions. So they're either on or they're off. And this ties into motivation. And we'll talk a little bit about how the brain works, which is why we continue to perpetuate negative messages and that type of emotionality to motivate us. So because we go on and off, (laughs) if it's something that we don't necessarily look forward to, i.e. putting away the laundry, Okay, mundane task. I have to find a way to turn turn on my motivation for that. Like I don't want to do that. And some no matter how many times I tell myself to do it and I try to do it, I still don't do it. I still can't get myself to do it. So I have to find ways to turn on my switch to do the things that I don't want to do, which is tying some level of emotionality to it. And a lot of times what we do, unfortunately, is shame ourselves. So it's like Um, In our brain, I'm going to back up in our brain, the prefrontal cortex, we talk about this a lot. We talk when we talk about the nervous system and parenting. So the prefrontal cortex, tap your forehead, you're in the general area of your prefrontal cortex is in charge of your executive function. Your executive function is the part of your brain where you can do time management. You can do um, like task orientation. You can follow multi-step directions. It's your short-term memory and your working memory. So I, you ever walked into a room and forgot what you were doing or you were in the middle of doing something and then you got distracted and started organizing your playroom instead of recording a podcast. Like that is a very, very real example. <laughs> Guilty of your executive function. And so what's hard is in adults, I can acknowledge like, oh, my executive function is lacking today. Like that's what it is. In kids, the prefrontal cortex isn't really developed all that well anyways. And so when you're neurodivergent, you are behind, that part of the brain is behind in developing anyways. So I have one of my kiddos where I'm like, 
go get socks, period. Go get socks. And then on her way to her room to get socks, she came across the hoverboard. And then she needed to go plug it in. So she plugged in the hoverboard, but then right next to the plug for the hoverboard was one of the pieces of the Lego set that she put together the night before. So then she needed to go put it back with the set and rebuild it. And then she was like, oh, this whole thing isn't the way it was supposed to be. Let me just fix it. And we're 15 minutes down the line and she has never gotten socks. So again, a very real example of my eight-year-old who, if you if you put two eight-year-olds together, one that's neurotypical, one that's neurodivergent, a neurotypical child would probably go get the socks, put them on. A neurodivergent child has a harder time without multiple prompts because of that short-term working memory. Do you have anything to add, Lindsay? Any, any additional information? No. Well, I was just thinking uh, when we talk about nervous system regulation, I just wanted to like add the point in my example that um, something I've noticed about myself is the more regulated I keep my nervous system, um, the more I'm able to work through um, those intense bouts of like emotion and the, the more I'm able to be a healthy ADHD person. So I still have the intense emotion, but I'm like more aware of it. And so like, if I had been well-regulated in that example that I use, I may have been able to like use a skill, take a break, walk away, recognize that like this, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Um, but because I wasn't, I couldn't. And so nervous system regulation is so <laughs> important in our kids and in us when we're talking about emotionality and ADHD. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, absolutely. Your prefrontal cortex is the regulated part of your brain. So when we yeah, talk about- like off topic, Lindsay, let me just go back to the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> uh, but when we talk about regulating your nervous system, it's teaching your body not to live in fight or flight, which is teaching it to live with your prefrontal cortex in charge. That means you can problem solve, you can regulate your emotions, and a lot of times it's harder to access. It's not impossible to access. I do a lot of reframing with my teens or like preteens. Your brain is different. You can still learn this skill. Cause they're like, well, I can't read cause I don't, I don't like it cause I have ADHD. And I'm like, that's same. And then they're always like, what? And I'm like, yeah, me too. But guess what? Your brain is plastic, plasticity. You're able to learn things. It's just, we learn them differently. So we're still going to read for this assignment. Can you use the metaphor of the butler and the angry neighbor for this? Because I love this one. Yeah. Um, and instead of the angry neighbor, I wanted to do the angry parent because I feel like this is me mm -hmm. when I get angry. So okay. executive function in the book they talk about is like a kind butler where it's like, oh, madam, you left your keys on the table. Like it's time to get going. Like your brain reminds you at different periods throughout the day of like, oh, I need to drive now because it takes this long to get there. So it's like just having a, a kind friend that's there just like prompting you regularly to do the things you know you need to get done. And that's what we call executive function. It's just there like, hey, we need to actually put our socks on and then we can put our shoes on and the Lego will still be there. Like that's that's kind of the role that it put in there. Um, but the other side, which I was like, this is so true, was it they in the book she refers to an angry neighbor that's just there yelling at you. <clears throat> and I was like, this is me as an angry parent. Like this is me when I'm mad as a parent. And 
to myself. So if you imagine like maybe your parents saying some of these things to you, I think this would make a good connection. So it's like, instead of the butler or the kind person or the kind friend, that's like, Hey, you forgot your, don't forget your keys. They're here on the table. Um, it's actually an angry parent where you're already out to the car. It's like, you forgot the keys again. Like, wow, how irresponsible do you have to be to hop to forget your keys again, to lock yourself out of your car for the third time. That's me. Okay. And I only have one set of keys. So when I lock myself out, I say, I just got to call roadside service. So it's like this angry parent that's constantly um, shaming you and guilting you and threatening you. Like you are going to be late. You're going to be late. Stop doing this. You're going to be late. Like you're late again. Why? Because you're irresponsible. Why can't you keep track of time? So what we talk about is when your PFC, your prefrontal cortex is functioning and working, it's like a kind person, a kind parent, just like gentle reminders. And what we do in a neurodivergent brain is because sometimes we're lacking in that um, executive function, we try to tie emotionality to motivation and to remember things. It doesn't work long-term, but it's what we do. So that's why we become the angry parent or our brain becomes the angry parent is because oh my God, I was I so stupid that I forgot my keys, right? So now we're connecting a strong, intense emotion to our short-term memory of, of the keys. Anything you feel like you need to add so far, Linz? No, I'm just thinking of all of the ways that we maybe... I don't want to use the word self-sabotage. So this is a protective mechanism that our brain has created created because the whole concept of neurodivergence is our brain processes things differently and we still find a way to do the same things and live the same life. It just doesn't process it in the way that our neurotypical brain does. And so I was just thinking how valuable it is to be aware of these patterns in ourselves and in our children, especially the negative self-talk so that we can teach them more positive ways to motivate themselves. Like when I was cleaning my playroom, I shared it on my Instagram story while I was forgetting to be here today. I like put my air, my AirPods in and I turned them up and I picked like my energy playlist and I had my cup of coffee and I used those positive emotionality things, the things that bring me like joy, um, to motivate myself to organize the playroom closet. But there have been times where I have shamed myself and the, and it just, it feels to be, I don't usually get done what I want to done, what would want to get done. And so I just think it's such an important skill to teach our kids. That's all I was thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think what's important is knowing that your brain is working differently. And because you know that, then you can catch these unconscious patterns. Because a lot of times this is an unconscious pattern. It's a coping skill that we've developed because we're struggling with that short-term memory. So when the butler is out of town, what happens is now, so in our example, the act of losing the keys is tied to the strong emotionality of the ugly feelings like anger, anxiety, shame, self-loathing. So because ugly feelings leave a longer trail, it's more likely to help us remember the location of them than just trying to figure out other hacks. So it's not like we're consciously beating ourselves up, but it's something that we have unconsciously developed as a coping skill to help us hack our brains. And so what we're trying to do is the opposite. We want to hack our brains in other ways. So a little bit later, we'll talk about in intense skills or intentional skills. I just have a couple 
one specifically that I want to bring up today. But so the effect of big emotions, we talk about like, we're not sure how to deal with them, right? So we're either a 10 or we're a one. And if we're not in a place where that emotionality is accepted or appropriate, then we tend to do different things. So we come up with coping skills, one of which could be pushing emotions. And I think it's important to acknowledge that ignoring the intensity of the feeling is not a solution. Never. There will be a volcano later. Exactly. Because you cannot stuff like, think of it like a beach ball. You have a beach ball in a pool, you hold it underwater. Eventually it's going to pop up and like explode. It's not just going to float lightly to the surface, it pops up and jumps in the air. That is the same thing. Emotions exist as energy in our body. And when you feel emotions intensely, the energy is more intense. So the more that you try to hide it, ignore it, push it, box it, whatever metaphor we want to use, the more likely it's going to come out in an explosive way, whether that's like deep sorrow, intense anger, like punching holes and stuff was an example in the book at an inopportune time. So now we're having these big, emotionally intense responses. And we're like, I didn't even know I felt that strongly about that one thing. Well, chances are you probably didn't. But because we've held that beach ball underneath the surface for so long, that one thing was what caused the explosion. And this is why you're screaming at your kids over like leaving crumbs on the floor when it's been building all day and you've been white knuckling that um, those emotions, right? Rather than just feeling them in the moment so that you're not like a volcano later yes or or whatever and so part of the struggle I think is coming to the awareness of what our things are like what intensity we're feeling things and finding skills to work through those things and then also teaching our kids skills to work through those things And I think when I say coping skill, because I work in a professional capacity, it can get really complicated. And I shared this recently on our TikTok that I had on my sad girl apron. (laughs) Send me an email if you saw the sad girl apron and I will send you a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Um, So I had my sad girl apron because we recently, my grandma died and it was a really intense experience for me. And I was just like in a really deep sadness that I couldn't describe. And, you know, grief is grief. So what I found is that when I am sad, something that I really enjoy doing is making food. I enjoy eating food, but that wasn't as adaptive. Like that wasn't as good for me as (laughs) some other skills. So instead of just binge eating all day, what I had adapted to was picking out something that I thought would taste delicious and then buying all the ingredients and trying to buy like fresh basil and all the things that go with it and being really intentional in the cooking process. And that helped me release some of my emotions and it made me feel better. And then I got to eat this time. It was tomato soup. So I was making sad girl soup um, is what I called it. But so that for me is a coping skill for some of those really intense emotions. But I didn't know that for a long time until I realized that what I was doing was just trying to eat and drink a lot of coffee. Um, and that that wasn't healthy for me, for me personally, it could be for someone else, but for me personally, that wasn't healthy. Yeah. I love that. And I love the taking the, it's the intention, right? Like, um, thinking about what's going on in our body and intentionally moving that emotion through doing, um, emotions start 
in our physical body before we recognize that they are there in our brain. And so if you're having really intense emotions or your child's having really intense emotions, it's really important to move those emotions in a physical way, especially if they have ADHD or neurodivergent. Um, so something I love to have kids do is physical activity, like yeah. running in place, jumping jacks, uh, just anything to move that emotion physically. And if that's not something they're drawn to, definitely something like baking or creating with like building Legos or art projects, creating is a great way um, to one, regulate your nervous system and to help move that emotion in a positive way. Yeah. And we talk about it a lot that when emotion exists in your body, because it is energy scientifically, y'all research has shown that it is actual energy in your body and you have an infinite stoler until you explode. Like it's not like your blood. It is energy within your body. When you don't find a way to move it out, it gets trapped like a train in a tunnel. And then eventually we just have this whole buildup and we explode. So any type of, of way to move energy out of your body, like Lindsay said, expressive arts. So any type of creation, so cooking, painting, writing, dancing, any type of, any type of movement. Sometimes I do like wall pushes or we do um, like free movement dancing. Um, or I like to go to the gym when I'm an extra sad girl, I'll work out or I'll stretch things that help move it through our body. And even breathing techniques help move energy through our body. Um, so we talk about a lot of this in our nervous system and parenting class, and we give specific, uh, tips and tools to use to regularly move it through your body. If you're finding yourself having a buildup of some of these extreme emotions, they typically lead to like depression, anxiety, feelings of shame, self-loathing, low self-esteem. It's probably time for you to address your nervous system. And it's not going to work like magic overnight, but as you continually provide an opportunity for release, it'll train your body not to live in that state. Yes. Amen. Um, so <clears throat> because we tie emotionality to like deficits in our executive function. I think that's what leads to a lot of the self-loathing and shame and guilt. Like I think about my daughter specifically who she's like determined to talk about how responsible she is. Like, I'm so responsible. I'm so responsible. And it kind of makes me think of like, how many times have I said like, oh, you forgot your lunch today. That's pretty irresponsible. Right. And so now in her brain, she's telling herself when she forgets things, she's irresponsible and she doesn't want to feel how ugly it feels to be irresponsible. So her brain's trying to remember her lunch. Okay. And so sometimes this, this is just a real example of how it happens, even if that's not our intention in parenting. And especially if that's not our intention with ourselves. So I just wanted to, to bring that up and reframe that too, of like, Hey, how could we, how could we talk about this differently and tie a, a positive emotion or reframe to it instead? And a lot of the times I'll say like, it's okay. Our brain just works differently. I was like, what's something we could do to help us remember, right? We're not tying it to a character trait, kind of like we talked about in one of our previous episodes. And that's true for me too. So I'm like, oh, I like, instead of shaming myself for forgetting to tell a couple of my clients that I was out this week until very last minute, right? So instead of thinking like, wow, that's so unprofessional, I can't believe I forgot to reach out to them and tell them they probably think I'm so irresponsible and unprofessional, and they probably are going to cancel all of their sessions with me moving forward now because I gave them such short notice. Instead, 
I talk to myself and I'm like, I'm really grateful that they were understanding that I had forgotten to tell them and that they, they rescheduled period. I made it much more intense than it needed to be. And so I had to work with reframing it. And I think as parents, we're generally well-intentioned and that like, we want to teach our kids to be responsible adults and to remember things. And so we, we think that that's what we're doing and that's our intention. And it's just about reframing and that there's other ways to teach those same traits without, um, and without using negative emotion to motivate. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Which a lot of the times is natural consequence and then a reframe which I think we should dive into that in another episode. I want to talk about this last example that the author gave in the book where she calls it the heat, the heat cranky, where she, one of her sensory overloads, something that immediately brings her to a 10 on the intensity level is getting into a hot car where it's like already done overwhelmed. And so she's like, because I was able to become aware of my emotional intensity to this one trigger, right? This environmental situation, I could set myself up for success. And we talk about this a lot. She's like, so now before I get in the car, I roll down all the windows, I'll turn it on and turn on the AC for a little bit because I know, right? I already know the intensity that I will respond to being in a hot car is a 10 out of 10. So I'm going to re-regulate. Go ahead. Mine is uh, being hungry like hanger is like a new level for me and you can ask tim about being in target with hangry Lindsay last weekend um it is like i was like i've got to go to starbucks right now and get the grilled cheese like there, there is no other like option in my, i am going to freak the f out and it seems so like i used to be like gosh Lindsay, you can't just push through like everybody else but it really is like the reaction that I have. And, and so usually I plan a little better by trying to like pack snacks, have snacks in my purse, whatever, so that I'm, it's more for me than for the kids so that I don't in that situation, but also like being able to express and voice our needs when we're with like people that we love and care about, like I'm getting hungry. And Tim knows that like number one thing, we don't let Lindsay get hungry. So let's find some food. Yeah. And I love it because you said, gosh, Lindsay, why can't I just power through? Right. So that's the emotionality related Mm -hmm. to, or like creating that emotional connection and that, that like shame period Mm -hmm. of feeling something so intensely. And so it's really remembering that because you feel hangry so intensely, you also are an incredibly empathetic therapist. Like it makes you good at what you do. So it's like, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's always a coin, there's a yin and yang. There's a coin toss with it. And then saying, okay, I know I react 10 out of 10 to this situation. So I'm going to put this into play to support me. Mine is something I'm still working through and trying to trial and error. Coping skills don't have to be complicated. It is a trial and error. Not every coping skill works for every situation either. So mine, 10 out of 10 intensity is after work. It doesn't matter if I'm coming from my office to home or like out of my home office to my regular like living room. It does not matter. As soon as all of the kids and I are done, like after school, after work, I am a 10 out of 10. And I can tell because I start to get really anxious. And then I start to nitpick about like how cluttered everything is, why there's still bowls out for breakfast. I have to hurry and get these dishes started. I got to start dinner. Like I know I'm a 10 out of 10, even though the situation doesn't call for me needing to be a 10 out of 10. So I will set myself up for success 
right now I'm still working through it because there isn't a lot that I is in my control when I leave at 7 a.m. and then get back at 5 p.m., right? A whole bunch of stuff and people live in the house in between that time. So when I get home at 5 p.m., I don't know what it's gonna look like. I can't control that environment, but I can control me. So taking that extra time to not listen to a podcast, not listen to any music or anything in the car so far, (laughs) and then um, reminding myself when I'm in it. Like I acknowledge what's happening in my body because I'll start to feel a lot of anxiety and then I'll recognize the thoughts about, and it really is me like starting to be angry at the other people in the household. Like who just leaves this breakfast bowl of milk out on the counter all day? Like, why can't you just put it away? Wow. Why didn't you unload the dishwasher? Reminding myself that I'm, I am going into that like fight mode because I'm overwhelmed because I'm a 10 out of 10. And then if I wait long enough, it will subside and reminding myself, if I wait long enough, I'll be okay. Like I can't change anything and I don't change anything, but I talk to myself. And right now that's what I'm trying to work through. I love that. And self-talk is so important when you recognize like your thinking patterns, especially, and those thoughts that continue to add to your spiral, being able to like reframe to yourself in the moment is such an important skill to have. And it takes so much time and practice. And it's something I still actively practice, which I'm sure we all do. And then teaching that to our kids. So instead of like, it's so stupid, I can't figure this out, which I hear a lot with homework, right? Like, man, learning new stuff can be really hard. And sometimes our brain learns it differently. So it takes longer Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to reframe it and then supporting, you know, whatever they need in that moment, which that's like sometimes space. Other times I'm like, if we take space right now, we're never going to come back and finish this. So I'm like, would you like a cold glass of water? Would you like a snack? Anything to knock it up, but also regulate. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Um, Okay. So I want to end with just a couple quotes that I love and I think are super important for us to know as we are just kind of navigating what it's like to understand and accept with compassion the intensity that which we feel things. Because if you didn't feel the ugly things as intense as you do, you also wouldn't feel the beautiful things the way you do. And it really is a superpower. Mm -hmm. It says, there is nothing wrong with people experiencing intense emotions and wild fluctuations unless they're damaging relationships or harming themselves. As we work on the negative aspects of having big emotions, we heal the wounded parts of our self-worth and self-confidence. When we increase our self-awareness and find new coping skills, we decrease our old dysfunctional ways of engaging with life. Mic drop. Well, that was chapter three. Thank you guys so much for being here. Again, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, or our private Facebook group, DM us at mindfulamotherpod at gmail.com. And um, ask us questions through text message. Yeah, ask us questions through text message. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.